We're continuing where we left off. It is December 15th, 2019, and we're uh, going to go with the thought of the week and prayer. And here we have the thought of the week on the testimony of God. Sinful man disregards the testimony of God and seeks solutions which seem logical to him which do not take into account the holiness of God. Sinful man is simply not in a position to design a salvation which will satisfy God's perfect righteousness and justice. This is why God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. From Isaiah 55, 8. The testimony of God is not negotiable. It is reality. We can only listen and believe it or reject his infallible word. It is like looking into a mirror and denying the, that the image there is you. Whatever you thought about yourself, the mirror shows the objective reality. The problem with arrogance is we think more of ourselves than is warranted, and only God can bring us back to reality. If we disregard the testimony of God about why we need salvation, we will not be able to receive a salvation which is designed to satisfy that need. Salvation is on God's terms. Sinful man does not care anything about God's holiness. How can he? Therefore, if we do not understand our true condition, we are not in a position to receive salvation. We need the Spirit to teach us about who we are first, and this goes beyond confessing you are a sinner. Through the Word, God is directing sinful man to a place he has never been. He is hopelessly and helplessly lost. Will he trust God to lead him, or will he insist that he knows the way? And that is the thought of the week. Commentary I would like to offer in, in that regard is that yes, we have, we do have that decision to make, and it would otherwise be a simple decision. There are people who believe that making a simple decision to receive the information from God about our true state and to understand His perspective of it makes it too easy. They think that we have to do something to earn God's approval. But in a simple gospel, God makes it very clear there is nothing that we can do to earn salvation. In fact, if we do any work at all, we are not accepting what God did as a gift. And it is truly a gift, given freely through faith in Christ. From 2 Corinthians 5.19, we read, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. In that phrase, it is so easily, it could be easily understood that God is, desiring more than anything to reconcile the world to himself. 
and he eliminated every obstacle that there could be except one, and that is the person's choice. Are they going to choose their own way, think that they know better, and think that they have to be, quote-unquote, good enough, and that will get them into heaven? Or would they be open to hearing God's way and understanding it from his perspective is astoundingly profound and simple. It's simply by believing and trusting in Christ that we are saved. It is, by, it is a gift of God by grace, and it is not of our works. And there is nothing that we can boast about. And that is my commentary on that. And then for the prayer, we will have Dave. Does anyone have any special requests for anyone that's on their heart? Uh, traveling mercies for those who are traveling. Okay. Right, for me and my family. Right. Okay. You know, Greta with cancer and also people that I would like to lead to salvation um so i'm praying for the opportunity um, to do so uh, two individuals come to mind mark and ted but there are many more one other thought there from my is. perspective as well dave so we had uh we asked for a special prayer for the clark family um the funeral was yesterday for cindy clark she passed, and um, she had the terrible accident, which you all know about. But a week later, probably like seven or eight days later, the mother, Mrs. Clark, passed. So they had the funeral yesterday, and it was a double funeral. They, they did get them both at the same time, the mother and the daughter. So the Clark family, it is rough for them right now. We're asking for a prayer for that family. Okay. Well, I just um, like to close our, put our hands to the throne of grace and offer our prayers to God. Heavenly Father, we ask you, Lord, to look over those, Father, who are in need, Father, of you, Lord. We ask you, Heavenly Father, to look over those who are which your will is, Father, so all men to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth, Father. We ask you, Father, to look over those who are grieving in their loss of time, Father, of loss of loved ones, Father. We ask you that you would comfort the earth, the, the family, Father, and protect them, Lord. We ask you for those also who are traveling, Father, to protect them as they are on the road, Father. We ask you, Lord, as you look into our study, Father, as we are here and listen to your word, Father, through the ministry of the Father, that we can grow in grace and in the knowledge of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, as this day continues, Father, we ask you to, to guide us, Father, to protect us, Father, through the comfort of Father, and all our thoughts and our needs, Father, and all our prayers we have on this, on this call. Father, yes, we ask you these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for his name, we ask you, Father. Amen. 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 <clears throat> All right. So we're going to continue. So we have, um, you have notes. 
And if you remember, last time we were together, we didn't finish John 14, 7, which says, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So in your notes, our Lord's relationship with the Father is a model for our spiritual growth life by allowing us to see the disciples mistakes it seems the message to to us is to learn and not repeat their missteps as we watch how patient our lord was with them he continues to be long-suffering to us as well in all our failures as we discuss the dynamics of our lord's spiritual life we will see the intimate position of the persons of God in us. While we are here on the battlefield, we have the understanding and hopefully the experience of our relationship with Christ. The largest lesson we can see in the context is in the word humility, in, in a word, humility. The more humility we have towards God, the more he can lead and guide us into his reality. Christ modeled this new spiritual life, and we do not want to be on the sidelines as spectators to this unique life. But, as Peter said, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world caused by evil desires. That's 2 Peter 1, 4. So we went through these scriptures. Uh, or, you know, the, we started with point one and two. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. So knowing the Father as well, we said knowing Jesus is equal to knowing the Father. Therefore, without knowing it, the disciples did know the Father. How? They knew Jesus. And point B was, however, they heard but were not accepting the teaching. So that's John 14, 24, 26, where Jesus says, don't worry, you'll get these things later when the Spirit comes. Pentecost, basically. And then point C, we will learn from the context that this relates to his living relationship, not simply memorizing doctrine. Right? So even if they understood and memorized what Jesus thought and said, it didn't mean they knew the Father. There was something else going on. There was a dynamic relationship that Jesus had with the Father that enabled the Father to be alive manifest in Jesus. Point D, therefore, humility is most important in allowing the mind of Christ to live in us. So the vessel is not important. Humility is the key. So when we say humility, we mean the openness, the, the willingness to allow God to teach us. And uh, not everyone has humility, but everyone has the ability to have or the capacity to have humility. doesn't matter about what station in life you are, what your intelligence quotient is or IQ is. doesn't matter 
where you came from, what race you are, where none of that matters when it comes to the humility factor. Either you have it toward God, and it will be by choice to have it or not to have it toward God. And then point E, the father's thinking, or when we say the father's thinking, or that's his plan, is merged with the life of Christ. So when we look at the life of Christ and the way he acted among the disciples, and he's telling us that that is what the father his, that is the man, his life was the manifestation of the Father's thinking or his plan. Knowing the Father is equal to knowing the eternal purpose. What is the thinking of the Father? It is the eternal purpose, not just well, what does the Father like about what kind of food the Father likes or what kind of. No, it is merged with the thinking and the motivation of Christ. It's the Father's eternal purpose. So we're moving in, and this is where we didn't finish. Maybe we talked about point A, but we're going to move on. So the text goes, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. A bold statement from the Lord. Let's dig into it a little bit. From now on, in other words, from this point forward, for the record, even though he's going to say you do, you do know him and you have seen him, right? This is a statement saying, "I already told you. You see the Father. You just don't realize you see." But for the record, let me just state it: you have seen him, and you do know him. So you do know him. In other words, they heard of the Father's teaching, right? Because the, the Father's teaching is Jesus' teaching. You know, all that about, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If, 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 if this were not true, would I have, would I have, wouldn't I have told you this? Right? These are things I, I've been teaching you. You should have good knowledge of these things. And so this is something that has to be believed. It is not just heard. Now, all of us can identify with this because many times we have heard something, but it, you know, we haven't believed it. And when it comes to salvation, almost everybody you talk to, if you quote Ephesians 2, 8, 9, they can tell you what it says, but they haven't embraced it in their heart. And we play around with the facts. Well, it says this, and this is what the word says, and it says, and if we go to the Greek, it even says it there too, right? No matter what we say, it says what it says. People don't embrace it. Now, don't get the high horse here, because all of us were on that side where we didn't embrace it. So just like it says, um, we were once children of darkness, but now we're children, for once... For you were once darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. So we were there. We understand what it was like to not have faith. We hear the words, but we didn't have faith. Just like the children of Israel. It says the, the promise were, promises were given to them, but they did not mix the promises with faith. That's what the disciples, they heard what Jesus said, 
They didn't believe it in their heart. So it wasn't, they weren't affected by what Jesus, even though he said those things, he's, you know, he did, he taught, the teaching didn't have any effect on them because, or transformation, because they didn't believe it. Point B. Humility is the nutrient-rich soil needed for us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there, there's a horticultural analogy where we can understand that it takes good soil for things to grow. We need nutrient-rich soil. And, uh, you know, this is one of the reasons why Israel had to let the land rest for uh, uh, one year. After seven years, they needed to make sure they took care of the soil. So, this is interesting when we think about um, growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, right? It, it's not just grace, the, the understanding of how God operates. It's knowledge of the Lord, right? The mind of Christ. And you need humility because his thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are his ways our ways. Now, he said that in and to the nation Israel. It is even more true today when God has shifted directions from uh, the plan for Israel and now he is focused on the plan for the church calling out those many sons in the glory. It is so true. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are his ways our ways. And you may try to say, well, we should follow the path of Israel. No, God has signaled through signs, wonders, and miracles that he has gone in a different way. So we have to follow wherever that leads. So what do we, we, what, this word humility comes to mind even more than it's important to us to understand. So a closer look at humility. And there's it's like four points just to go over. One, humility is leaning forward to learn from God. Who knows? God knows. I mean, just think about that. God is the one who has ultimate knowledge. He's the one who created us. He's our creator. So if anybody knows, it's God. So it's leaning forward. So we want to hear what God has to say. And we recognize his authority over us. So in order for us to be taught by God, we have to recognize him as authority. If somebody tried to teach us something that we didn't regard at all, we wouldn't, we wouldn't hear what they had to say. We would, even if they said something, we would disregard it because we don't see them as an authority over us. It doesn't always have to be over us. It's just an authority. Someone who can possibly speak on this subject. So humility does, it is important. That is one, we lean forward. And the reason why we lean forward is because we recognize who God is and his authority over us. That's an important feature of humility. Point number two. Humility is going beyond learning what interests us. Now, this is 
is a really important one here. Some people have humility as far as their interests will take them. So that means they have a set of things they want to know, and then once those things are satisfied, they're satisfied. Humility, though, is God. He is a supernatural being. He is an eternal being who is intriguingly interesting to me. I can't get enough of God. And yet some people have enough when they heard about a couple things about him. They're done. They, they don't need to hear anymore. Or they got salvation, but they don't want to grow in grace and in the knowledge and to the deep knowledge of God. So humility is going beyond learning what interests us. It is trusting God with our hearts to lead us into his reality. When I say with our hearts, I mean that the motor of our being and motivation is our heart. If you allow something into your heart, it changes how you see things because those are the the truths, the foundations upon which uh, we base life and how we see things and our perceptions, what we believe in our hearts. For instance, I used to give the example, Jehovah Witnesses believe that it is wrong to take a blood transfusion. They believe that. So much so that it orders their life. They will let their child die in some cases, this has happened because they believe that in order for them to receive a blood transfusion is against God. Is it, now, this is wrong thinking, but they have accepted that into their heart. They believe that, and it transforms the way they perceive life. And they will even go as far as forbidding their children who a blood transfusion could save their lives forbidding them from receiving a blood transfusion. So I'm just using that as an illustration. If you believe the truth, the truth will transform you as well. You will be transformed into his image. What do we mean? His thinking. That's the image of Christ. And uh, this is why I say it goes beyond what interests us. It takes us out of curiosity it's not just, oh, I'm curious about God. No, humility is being taught, listening attentively to what God is saying. It's trusting Him. Right? God has authority over us. He knows what's best for us. He's the creator. He's teaching us. And He will lead us into His reality. So point number three. Let's move forward. We must have humility toward the Word of God, which is truth. So if we believe that God has ultimate authority over us, then we have to understand and believe that the word of God is him exercising his authority over us by telling us what he thinks. I just quoted Isaiah. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. As his ways are higher as the heavens are, so... so that is how much higher his ways and thoughts are above our thoughts and ways. I know I'm messing up that scripture. <laughs> Don't worry. I think you get the point. But that is the idea is that we ha 
must understand that God is expressing his will through his word. So we believe that the word of God is the, the final authority. Uh, that's why the scripture says it is good for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, for correction, so that the man of God might be mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the word of God is, is what God's will is for us. And we know it's tricky because... The world has the word of God, but that doesn't mean they have apprehended what is there. The problem is, is that we're blind, we're, we're dead in our transgressions and sins, and we must depend on the guidance of the Spirit in order to enlighten us. Each person in the world, God will come to, and he will challenge with light, and they will have opportunity to hear the word of God. But that ingredient within us that says the door is open is humility. It says, tell me, what do you think about? What is your worldview? And we ask those questions and God gives us answers. Tell me more. More humility. Once he satisfies one level of humility, we, we are led to the next question. So there are questions that God has answers to that we have yet to ask. God has all the answers. All the answers. We can trust that he knows. Some questions are dependent on other answers. Some answers are dependent on other answers that we have to get first. So there is a logical order. Or prerequisites, we could say. So it's important. Our hearts are important to us. We have control over our hearts. We can choose what we want to believe. However, there has been some uh, bad news in this area. And that is that Satan and the world has been plunged into sin. And we have been born in sin. So there's none righteous, there's none who understand, there's none who seek God, none who do good. All those are true of us. Even whether if we don't want to believe that's true, that's a, that's a point of truth from the word that God is telling us about ourselves. So we must have humility toward the word. There is no the sixth sense that we have now that says, okay, uh, I just feel that this is right, or I just feel that that is right. If you got that, you're probably wrong. Because remember, his thoughts are not our thoughts. So you have to, uh, in humility, say, okay, God, I'm going to hear what you have to say. And once you understand what God says, what is his view? You could then choose to have faith or trust it. Well, that means it allows it into your heart. Once you allow it into your heart, it alters your reality of things. So, the word is truth, right? We have to trust the word, and which is truth. Truth, God's reality. And point four. Humility is not only being open to hearing the truth. It is the willingness and courage to trust God in believing and being transformed. 
and uh, the scripture there is James 2.22. Uh, so I might turn to James, but before we, because James has given us a good lesson on humility there. James chapter 2, you see what the scripture says, 22. You see that faith and its actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. So what is he saying here for our scripture? Humility is not only being open to hearing the truth, it is the willingness and courage to trust God. So why do I say that? Because remember, his thoughts are not our thoughts. What was in your heart before is not what God just taught you, not his perception of reality that is found in the word. So what are you going to do? Are you going to go against or? what you previously held? Did God's perception dislodge your reality of your worldview? And when it does, you have to throw out the one and adopt the other. So this is what it means by having courage. Just because God told you something does not mean you believe it. Now, hopefully you recognize that and that you are your good accounting of what's in your heart. Uh, you, you you should at least look at it that way. When you hear something in the Word that disagrees with something that's in your heart, acknowledge it. Don't just gloss it over and say, yeah, well, it probably means the same thing I believe. It's just saying it in a different way. No, you have to pay attention to what the Word is teaching. Earnestly look at the context to try to come to what is God saying here and then it's okay if he's saying something different from what you believe it's not a crime some people have such high regard for what they believe that they want to harmonize the Bible to match what they believed in their heart anyway so there is no transformation going on they just have twisted the word so that it fits what they previously held. And that's wrong. That is complete. That's not looking at the word, not allowing the word to correct, to rebuke you, to instruct you. So the word is the testimony of God. You want to know the motivation, testimony of God? Got to look at the word. If you're not reading the word critically to... Make sure that you have understood what is being said according to the context, allowing that God can have a different point of view and not condemning yourself for having that differing point of view than the Word. It is not a matter of condemning yourself. It is a matter of recognizing that and adopting the truth. So that's where the decision comes in. God can give you his perspective, but it takes courage for you to believe it. To trust God. And listen, not a, not a whole lot of other people are going to be clapping their hands because you trusted God in some point of truth. It's going to be different. Remember, just the truth is, my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. And sure enough, if you can accept those thoughts, you may be happy that you've done it, but it doesn't mean the world has. So you are living in opposition already by accepting 
an alternate view. And that's God's view that's in the world. God's view is, is not what is prevalent or common thinking in the world. People in the world are what we might call worldly wise, some more than others. And they pride themselves on how ingenious and, you know, smart they are when it comes to the things of this world. Well, if this is happening, this is what you do. If you got that situation over here, this is how you handle it. They got their whole thing laid out. And some of it may seem to be wise. God is saying, I have a different worldview completely. Let me tell you what's really going on. And for you to adopt a different type of wisdom it takes courage. Because there's going to be opposition. There's going to be people who are cruel, who will malign you and judge you and make false assumptions about you. So it demands that you carry out, that you trust God and have the courage to allow that belief, those things that God has given you, to transform your thinking or your way of thinking. And that's why we brought forth Abraham's journey here. You see that faith and his actions were working together. So Abraham trusted God and it transformed him. So it's, so he his faith was made complete by what he did. Yeah. He sacrificed Isaac on the altar. He he was ready to do it. And God knew that that was Abraham's belief. It had transformed him. God said, Abraham had already reasoned in his mind, well, if this is the promised son, and God wants me to kill him, well, I know what sacrificing him on the altar means. If God wants me to do this, then God, I know God has a purpose for the, for the life of, of the promised one. So he must raise him that's the only way I could see it, Abraham said. But I know one thing. God wants me to do this, so I'm going to go through with it. So Abraham was proceeding to sacrifice his son. God says, okay, Abraham, I got you. I know it. Hold on. Don't do it. You don't have to do it. I know the motivation in your heart was to believe what my word was. So it was a test for Abraham, but... For us, it's a test, too. If we have the humility to hear God out and say, Okay, God, let me... I know you have something to say about, about this world and how things are, whether it be salvation or growing to maturity. I know you have a perspective on this. Let me hear your thoughts. They're going to be different from yours. As you read them and you understand what your mission is and what's going on in the world, it's going to be different. So you then will have the choice to make whether you believe it. If you believe it, it transforms you. You, you allow it into your heart. Your heart is the seat, the motivation of all that you do. So that will be changed. That will be transformed. And you will behave or think God's thoughts. Like we said, his thoughts are not our thoughts. Well, if you go through that process, his thoughts can be your thoughts.
That's how it works. A little bit at a time. It's not all at once. It's a little bit at a time. We are transformed into his image. It takes courage. Why courage? Because nobody else is doing it. Others in the world or all around you are not doing what you're doing. In fact, who knows what, what the Holy Spirit is working in your life on right now as we speak. What are you struggling to believe? And you heard his, thing, his teaching. You heard what the Bible says. And now you have to grapple with that. You see that it's different from what you think. When you see those points of difference, that's where God is trying to teach you. First, be clear that you understand what his word is teaching, right? That's why what we do here is important. We take time to look at the word in context to make sure that what he's saying, he is saying. Well, what if it disagrees with what we thought, what's what we once held? Well, okay, that's okay. It's not something that we find is demeaning to us. Or we, we somehow are ignorant or something. It just means that it's an opportunity for us to follow the voice of God in our lives. It takes courage. Well, what about the other people? They're not believing it, yeah, but it's not about them. It's about you at this point. When they get to that point, God will present them. I'm sure God is presenting them with some whatever point they're at. Whatever humility. God will work with you to the point of your humility. If you don't care to know, there's no reason for God to tell you. You know, Even if he did tell you, you, you wouldn't regard it anyway. So when you have humility and you listen to God, then God will transform your heart. So this, this is an important point. It takes courage. And then you have to continue having more humility. Just because you, you've had enough humility to have salvation, for God to teach you about what salvation was, and then you believed, and you were saved, then you have to continue to grow in grace. Well, it's going to take more humility. Well, you got to know what God's perspective is on the mystery or all the different ways that we're our calling and, and what he has called us to, etc. you got to continue to learn. Sometimes you don't even have an opinion about a certain thing. So God gives you an opinion. And then he challenges you to believe it. Which then transforms your thinking. Humility is an open door with God. Saying, God, tell me. Teach me. It's always better to know. Even if you decide you don't want to believe that. It's better to know, isn't it? And it doesn't hurt you. To have heard what God said. It hurts when you turn your ears from the truth. Like it says in the last days. Men will not put up with sound doctrine. They will turn their ears from the truth. They will not listen. That's no humility. God speaks. They don't care. They don't want to hear it. They got their own truth. They don't want to disrupt what they believe. By hearing something that's different. So, let's continue. We'll finish out humility here. 
So point D, Jesus' relationship of humility with the Father allows the Father to be known. That's what allowed. I'm just going to turn to one of the scriptures I have here. It's in John. Let's go to that one. 12, 49, and 50. So 49 says, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say commanded me to say all that I have spoken. Now there it is. The Father who sent me. Yeah, I'm not speaking on my own. I'm the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. And then he follows it up with this. Just so you're sure. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. He didn't deviate one bit from it. He said it exactly the way the Father has told him to say it. Talk about representation. Talk about Jesus being an open vessel for the Father to occupy and manifest in. Jesus completely stepped out of the way. He says, listen, everything. I'm here. Yes, that's me. However... Everything I'm about is the Father in me, as we're going to find out in the next verses when Jesus answers, begins, he begins to answer the next question. Does it, it, how is this affected? Because Jesus memorized everything the Father told him to say? No, it was the Father literally in Jesus who was doing the work. So this is important. These two verses, keep in mind, I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. That is an important verse for us. Make sure that we understand how open Jesus' humility was to the Father and what it allowed in terms of the relationship, the dynamic relationship that we have now with the Father and with Christ. Jesus had it, and we could see the quality of it, and we know what it's going to take for us to have it. Point E. For now on, you, have, you know him and have seen him. Seen him. Seeing the Father is seeing Jesus. Obviously, it is not looking at his physical appearance. Right? That's people. Jesus said, don't you know me? People can say, well, I know you, but I don't see the Father. I, I see you, but I don't see the Father. Right? So it's not the physical appearance. Not at all. So in Colossians 1.15, let's turn to a couple of scriptures. In Colossians 1 and 15, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. If the Son is the image of the invisible God, that tells the story, doesn't it? Can you see the Father? No, he's talking about the invisible God as the Father. Can you see him? No, he's invisible. If he's invisible, then seeing him is a metaphor. Because you can't see 
with the physical eye something that is invisible, right? You cannot see it. How can you see the Father? What do we mean by seeing the Father then? It's not looking at his physical appearance. It's looking at his spiritual life. If we look at Jesus' physical appearance, we could go to Isaiah. I know this is not in our notes, but Isaiah 53. This is what it says. Who had believed our message? Who has believed our message? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He grew up before him as a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So what is that to say about Jesus? I mean, here he he's the Christ, the Son of the Living God. It, so it, it it is not going to be shown because he's going to be walking on air, two feet above the ground. Everybody else is walking on the ground. It's not going to be some crown or majesty on his head that people will see and say, "Wow, that is that must be the Christ." No, it says right here, nothing. He was the average-looking person, no beauty. Nothing in his appearance that would draw us to him. Somebody would have to point him out and say, that, that's him over there. Like Judas, when he uh, betrayed Christ. He had a signal. He says, it's the one I kiss. That's the one who it is. That's the one you need to grab and seize. He's the one. Well, how do we know which one? Because it's dark. And there's lots of disciples out there. How do we know we got? We might get the wrong one? Well, it's the one I kiss. That's who it is. So what does Judas come up to with the... He comes and Christ says, Judas, betraying the Lord with a kiss. All of this, I'm sure, is what led Judas to implode later on. But notice, he has no beauty. It is not his physical appearance that drew us to Christ. It is his spiritual life. That is the reality of this. That's what Colossians 1 says, 15 says. He is the image of the invisible God. What we can see of the visible God. So what can we see? We can see the invisible God being manifested in a man. In the person of Christ. Physical God. The Father. Opening himself. As much as an invisible being. Spirit being can. In the visible representation of the man. Christ Jesus. Hebrews. Another scripture. Chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word after he had provided purification for sins 
he sat down at the right hand of his of the majesty in heaven so notice what is at stake here he opens with hebrews 1 1 in the past god spoke when it says god spoke it is a revelation of god if god doesn't speak we don't know who or what god is but god made himself known how did he do it through various ways he revealed himself so it is not god showed up and then the people all fell over on the hill and this and that right this is in the this is god saying how he revealed himself to the to man right? through our ancestors through the prophets many times in various ways and that's true we cannot discount what god did through judaism through the old testament scriptures god showed up he taught those people who he was and what he expected of them he said what his will was through the prophets and many times and in various ways but now he has a perfect vessel in which to display who he is and that is the son the radiance of god's glory the exact representation of his being so we can trust that whoever christ is that is the Father. And when we talk about the Father, the manifestation of the Father, we're talking about the fullness, the full manifestation of the Father's plan. That's important for us to see. So that's what we mean by seeing him. Jesus says, uh, from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. For the record, you have seen him. You, he's showing up. He's talking to you. He's speaking to you right now yeah so point f let's move forward can we see the father can we see the father well, let's look at uh, some of the scriptures that deal with that thought so the first one is in john 1 18 we'll go through these scriptures john 1 18 says no one has ever seen god now this is jesus talking when he's talking to God here, he's talking about God the Father. I don't know any scholars, biblically speaking, or there's probably some who would not see this. This is God the Father, but this is God the Father. And most, I don't know if any that I read that have said differently. But anyway, no one has ever seen God or the Father. So that's a statement Jesus made at his time, up to the point. So just imagine all of those appearances manifestations in the old testament no physical appearances of god were seen like what moses said show show us show me your face i want to see you god said you can't see me moses i can just have a manifestation pass by and you can see the back of it but you cannot see me no one has ever seen god jesus declares the one and only Son, who is himself God, is in the closest relationship with the Father. So that, just so you know, the God Father, there it is, has made him known 
So when we say he's the image of the invisible God, we know that that means Jesus has made him known. And what's at stake here? The revelation of the Father. He's a spirit being. He's not something physically that you're able to see. So John 1.18 confirms that as well. What other scriptures might say? How about 5? John 5.37. Let's look at that one says, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. This is Jesus talking. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form. They have not heard his voice or seen his form. This is what I meant earlier by the life of the Father is manifested through the life of Christ. They are merged so that the life that Jesus has in humility toward the Father is the revelation of the Father. You have seen him, Jesus said. You can't see the Father any clearer if you got to heaven than you can see the Father in the person of Jesus Christ. So, 646, John 646. Let's continue. Uh, 646 says no one has seen the father except the one who is from God only he has seen the father now seeing the father again we know the father is invisible it's a spiritual being you can't really see him but Jesus is saying he sees the father so this metaphor is important for us to adopt can we see the Father? Absolutely. What do we mean? Our physical eye? No, not at all. It's not a physical presence. It's a spiritual presence. It wasn't what Christ looked like. It was his spiritual life, which was infused by the Father and his will. It's a person. The Father's not just some force. It's a person that is able to manifest a motivation in you. So that's important to note. And then there was, um, <clears throat> there is 819. Let's continue on with this. I don't think we'll get to, for some reason I had some grand thought that we'd go to the next verse, but I don't think so. 819 says, then they asked him, where is your father? This is a good question. This is very similar to the question that would uh, show us the father. Right? Then that'll satisfy us. Right? Where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Again, that there it comes right back to where we were before. Right? This is... Uh, this is even before we got to John chapter 14. So, John uh, 8, 18, I am one who testifies for myself, but other witness, my other witness is the Father who sent me. He is manifesting the witness of the Father. So, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 
Let's look at 1 Timothy 6, 16, or 15 and 16. Now, hopefully you guys can read the context of these. So it says, um, I'll start at 14. To keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time, God, the blessed and only ruler, King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. So notice what he says about the Father. Yeah, he, 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 he ascribes titles to him that he is delegated to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the person of Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. Everything rolls up to the Father. And notice, again, no one has seen or can see who he is. Not through the physical eye, but you can see, spiritually speaking. And so, and then that's the 16 verse, yeah. So moving on, couple more points. Although, uh, this is point G, although they will not understand fully until Pentecost, Jesus relies on the fact that the Father was teaching them, that is, making himself known to them. He, he relies, he kept, he kept saying, when the Spirit comes, you, will, you don't understand now, but you will understand later. So he knew, he was taken into account that he was treading on new theology for them. They didn't fully understand where he was coming from. That is true. But they would. He's laying down the foundation of this. Point H. When can the we can see the patience of God telling them over and over until they finally expressed humility and the proper understanding. I'll, I'll go to John 17, 7 and 8 for that. So God was patient with them, wasn't he? So 17, 7 and 8. For I gave them the words you gave me. This is Jesus speaking. And they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. So that's interesting that Jesus would say it just that way. Yeah. He, he is saying that he labored with them, he kept telling them, he kept teaching them until he says, well, Father, I'm getting ready to leave now, and guess what? They got it. They understand, I've given them what you told, I told them what you told me to tell you, tell them, and they have received, I know with certainty that they have believed in their hearts. That's the foundation of the church right there. So that's interesting that he would say it that way. Let's continue on. What makes all of this living 
uh, and not mechanical for us is Pentecost. That's point I. So it's not a matter of just memorizing, as I, I keep going back to that point. It is a spiritual, dynamic relationship that goes on. And Pentecost facilitates that. It is unique. Right? Jesus didn't walk around with a book quoting scriptures. He walked around with a person who was in him manifesting. All he had to do was have humility to allow the Father to be himself in him. So, same thing for us. If we're going to live the Christian life, it's not going to be us living it. It's going to be us getting out of the way and allowing Christ to live in us. Point J. It is clear from the context that Jesus was teaching and the disciples were hearing but not believing. How can we learn from the disciples' mistakes? This is going back to John 14. How can we learn? So we're getting ready to go into questions. And we get from their questions, we can have a barometer of what the disciples thought. We will see that. The next question is, um, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. That, that is the next question. Uh, we're going to see how that develops next week. So show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And then we get to Jesus' answer, which is in 9. From there, we start to unfold the spiritual dynamics of the relationship that Jesus had and that we will have as a result of what Pentecost brings. Let's bow our heads as we close. We'll continue next week. Thank you, Father, for the word that you have given us, the infallible word that preserved for us so that even in 2019, we can trust that it is truth. Thank you for your spirit who is relentlessly uh, helping us to come to the knowledge of the truth to understand what we've read and urging us to put our, our trust in the Word of God. We thank you for those who are listening, and we pray that we will continue to grow in grace as we meet uh, each week to talk about these important matters. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.